The Way Out Podcast, episode 272. So what's your name? Cynthia Body. And what was your substance of choice or DOC? Uh, methamphetamines, pills, and uh, alcohol. Mm, take your pick, eh? <laughs> yeah, I can relate to that. <laughs> uh, what is your clean or sober date? Uh, that'd be October 5th, 2017. Damn, girl. That's a while. It's a yes, lot of wonders. What was your, your uh, primary recovery program or pathway? So when I first actually got sober, I was doing, I did the 90 meetings in 90 days. Um, while I was still actually in treatment, I was in treatment for a year, but uh, I now it's, um, you know, reading my meditation books, praying, having that open communication with my higher power. Um, and, and most importantly is taking care of my mental health um, and making sure that that doesn't get too out of whack because my mental health will be the first thing to lie to me. Mm-hmm. I know I always say I'm the last one to know when something's going on with me. I need people to point stuff out because I'm always the last to know. Um, how, how do you serve the recovery community? Um, I'm serving my recovery community. We're now officially you know, got that 501c3 status. So it's just little nice. baby steps and, and, and getting peer services and, 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 and in a safe manner brought to people, you know, because um, that's really important. Uh, so right now we only operate by phone, um, but our goal is to get a building and to start actually offering peer peer support services in our community. Because in Grand Rapids, we don't have those. Right. Um, and then, okay, so I also volunteer um, with the Minnesota Cert- Certification Board, also known as MCB. Um, I have been with them for two years and um, I am currently hold the role as treasurer's, um, sorry, uh, secretary slash treasurer. And it's my, been my first, um, it was my first opportunity to work on a board and and, and get to see how it's operated and, and, and be a part of that, which I think is really awesome. And it first was a very intimidating um, role. I'll put it, I'll put that out there. But I've had a lot of people on our board to help guide me too and, and show me how to how to do it correctly. So that's really great. No, that is, that's amazing. And, you know, being, being on all sorts of different levels you get to serve, you know, mm-hmm. you're, you're getting them more professional um, side as well as sticking in the, you know, the ground, you know, boots on the ground and the peer services and stuff. I love that. Um, I think it's important that we don't forget where we come from. You know what I mean? So it's really yep. helpful to be st- staying where the desperation's there and and trying to be that beacon of hope for the next one, you know? Yes, I do. You can reach one, teach one. Yeah. Oh man, that's just beautiful, man. I'm, I'm proud of you. Uh, one, one more for this intro section here is, uh, what does recovery mean to you? So when I first seen this question, I, I thought really hard, and my first thought is freedom. Um, and what I mean by freedom is um, freedom from myself, freedom from what I was conditioned to be um, and the lifestyle that I grew up. Um, it, it Recovery has given me that freedom to get a different life because I thought that um, I was cursed with the life that I had. Um, I thought that was just 
the hell I was born into and I had to deal with it. Um, I learned that I don't have to do that and I have a choice, which is really huge because I never realized that, how big of a choice I had. So, Amen. Yeah, it's, it's so funny to me how hopeless things can get and mm -hmm. how stuck we can feel. And I never knew there was a way out. You know what I mean? Yep. I never knew. And it is the most amazing feeling to, to not only acquire that freedom, but to feel that you can uh, expand on it and continue to grow. And, and it just gets better, right? Like it does you start to see a future in front of you unfolding that you never And the best part is typically when like you get kind of get in that stagnant like oh maybe i just need to you know switch things up a little bit or, or like with this whole mission restart for me anyways um it's like i don't i'll start forgetting why i'm doing it and then something will happen and i'll light that fuse right back up again and 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 i'll be just geared so it's really kind of neat how that works out yeah just keep on stoking that fire, man. Yep. <laughs> it's beautiful. Welcome Way Out faithful and first timers to this week's installment of the Way Out podcast. We appreciate your ears. Our mission is simple, to bring you powerful recovery stories and recovery power topics so you can jumpstart or re-energize your recovery from alcoholism and addiction. The Way Out podcast does not speak on behalf of, nor are we affiliated with any 12-step organization. The Way Out podcast partners with All Recovery Rings and AllRecoveryRings.com, where you'll find stunning recovery rings made from your very own recovery coin. That's AllRecoveryRings.com. The Way Out podcast is a proud supporter of Transitions Daily. Would you like to join a free, anonymous, online group that offers a daily topic email with popular recovery resources accompanied by a secret Facebook group for discussion? Go to dailyaaemails.com for more information about Transitions Daily. Don't forget to share dailyaaemails.com with friends, in meetings, and with sponsees in recovery. Make sure to check us out on the web at www.wayoutcast.com. There you can subscribe to ensure you get the latest episodes first on iTunes, iHeartRadio, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform. You can also follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Help us recover out loud by giving us a five-star rating and review on your favorite podcast app. Your voice matters, so share your thoughts on recovery with us by calling us at 218-382-1960 or leaving a message with us on the Anchor app, available for Android and Apple. Someone, somewhere, needs to hear your share. Finally, a word of caution. This podcast may contain strong language and mature content. Listener discretion is advised. The Way Out Podcast is on right now. I'm Charlie, and in this edition of The Way Out, our beloved recovery podcast co-host Jason catches up with an old friend, Cynthia Body, who is a person in long-term recovery and a certified peer recovery specialist reciprocal. Now time for a moment of total and complete transparency for a purpose about this interview. One of Cynthia's little ones is in the background on and off, as you heard in the intro. And that continues in the interview, 
along with a cacophony of background noise on and off. My first gut instinct was we needed to scrap the whole thing and re-record the entire interview. But then I decided I was going to start editing it anyhow, which now feels very much like a higher power moment. No doubt the audio on this interview is far from perfect, despite my best efforts to work my editing magic. What is also undeniably true is how genuinely authentic and refreshing it is to hear Cynthia tell her story with the medley of sounds that make up the day-to-day -day life of a parent in recovery. Life isn't perfect and flawless, and either is recovery. And both are beautiful, not despite the flaws, but because of them. Without the flaws and imperfections, recovery and indeed life would be rather bland and uninspiring. I'm grateful to have a connection with my higher power that allowed me to recognize and embrace the beauty that lied beneath the imperfection so we all can hear Cynthia's amazing journey to and through recovery to this point. Cynthia is extremely honest and vulnerable in this conversation. Her natural storytelling ability will draw you in as she reveals her extensive history. We learn how she broke generational cycles into starting a new kind of legacy for her own family. The purpose and love she has found in her life will inspire you and warm your heart. So listen up. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Whale Podcast. Your trusty co-host, Jason, here. I got a special treat for us today, for me especially. Uh, old friend, old old friend, Cynthia used to be Townley, Cynthia Townley, but now it's Cynthia Body. Did I say that right? Yep. Right yep. on. I'm so smart. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but yeah, Cynthia, welcome. Thank you for being here. I'm glad I'm here. Yeah, I got my too. daughter on my lap just so everybody knows. So if you hear any noise, that's her. Yeah, she's got a cold, so she won't get too far from me right now. And you can't see her, you guys, but she is a cutie. <laughs> but yeah, we're we're gonna be having an awesome conversation today. Um, of course. As always, we'll be hearing Cynthia's story, and then she serves in a multitude of different levels for her local community up in Grand Rapids, and it's going to be awesome to hear just the updates on your life. What happened? What? What was that? It was my daughter. Oh, I, you, I thought you were mouthing something to me. <laughs> no, no, she's eating my mouth. Oh, okay. She's raising her hand. Um, yeah, anyway, it's going to be really cool to hear how things have been going in your life and, uh, you know, to expand upon the small window that I've gotten to view through social media networks uh, and really hear exactly how how this path has unfolded for you and and what you're doing today in regards to that to be of service to your community and to help other women with children. I'm super excited about it. Uh, you're muted. <laughs> so anyway, with that being said, why don't we take a moment, you can introduce yourself to the audience and uh, we'll go from there. 
Hi, I'm Cynthia Body. I'm a certified peer recovery specialist reciprocal. Um, I get to work with women and children that are learning how to recover um, together. I'm also founder of Mission Restart, and I'm also a current board uh, board member, also secretary slash treasurer for the Minnesota Certification Board. So it's great to be here. Sounds like you got a busy life going on. <laughs> <laughs> She's like, you have no idea. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, um, when when we start, we generally look, try to think, look back at some family of origin type stuff. Just, you know, what was it like for you, you know, growing up and 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 uh, like what? eventually led you into uh, using substances? All right. My family dynamic, um, I come from I come from a long line of um, addicts and alcoholics in my family. Um, my mom is an addict, my dad is an addict, um, and of course the functioning addicts in my family enable the non-functioning ones, and it's just been a horrific cycle. Mm. Um, a lot of my family struggles with mental health issues and, um, it's just been, it's just been nothing great handed down anyways, let's say that. And, uh, uh, let's see here. What, what do I all want to talk about? Um, I, I don't know. I guess you could say I grew up on, uh, welfare. I, um, my mom had a very abusive husband for many, many years. And when she finally met him, or was able to finally leave him, um, it was, oh, she just went from boyfriend to boyfriend to boyfriend after that, you know? And um, I started using probably methamphetamines for the first time when I was 13. Um, I really started Adderall as I got a little bit older. I used off and on, smoked weed, I used to get drunk all the time. Um, and... You know, I the reason I, I took a liking to drugs more than um, well, you would say alcohol is because um, I had actually been molested one time by somebody when I was um, 14 um, while I was drinking and it was an adult that did it and somebody who was supposed to be very close to me. Um, and I, I didn't like that because I didn't have I didn't have control. And, and when I was high on meth or other things, you know. I still had control. I was still very alert, you know? Um, so I think that's why I kind of switched more to those drugs. Um, mm. And actually, I know that's why. Um, and then I know I used them because it felt, it, it was normal. It was okay. Everybody else did it. Like I, I don't know, everybody I knew used drugs and it was right. just, it's just what, what we, what we did, I guess. Um, yeah, honestly, like, I don't think I've ever heard anybody like explain it like that. <laughs> but here to hear you say that, like, I feel like I really relate to that because, like, I have a history of sexual abuse, PTSD as a result of it. And, you know, initially it was when I was a child, but then even as a grown person, you know, like in my late teens um i was sexually assaulted by like three separate men on three separate occasions 
you know, like that I thought were my friends, you know, mm-hmm. and like you pass out hammered drunk and then you wake up and somebody's eating your ass, you know, or like just crazy, like experiences that really like left a, you know, shattered any, any semblance of like a feeling of safety for me that I think that that makes so much sense to hear you explain it that way that like by staying doing the upper drugs, um, I was more more alert and aware of my surroundings and able to you know it was like a built-in defense against anything yeah. like that happening because that's like letting your guard down when you're completely out of control and you're not aware of your surroundings right right so, so I, don't know, it, I just appreciate the way that you described it because that really resonated with me yeah and, and to give people a little bit more of a description um i remember when i was little uh, I was a young girl and my mom actually used to tell me that I was going to be her stripper slash escort, uh, making big bucks in Las Vegas. And my sister, my younger sister, Chantel was going to be her lawyer making her big bucks. And, um, so I feel like that having that kind of an image set off, like, uh, pattern for me. And I was also taught how to manipulate and get what I wanted out of life. Um, because I'm a woman, I'm a female, and that's just right. that's just what we do. Um, I mean, I thought that was I thought all women did that. I really truly did. I thought that was how all women acted and how all women um, just lived their life. You know, and, and even if they weren't honest about it. It's, you know, when when somebody views their body as a tool or whatever that can be used to get what they want, that's you know, something that's like passed on and, and you could have had that same, you know, influence in your life if you befriended some stripper or, or prostitute or something, but right, you got it from your mom, huh? Yep. 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 And my family and my parents are still, they'll, they'll say they're not an active use. They'll tell me all the time. And I think they just tell me that because because you're sober <laughs> because i'm so yeah because i'm sober and um but i mean I'm, i've had a lot of serious conversations with my mom my mom has copd now and you know she's um on oxygen uh mm. i always said that she'll die with a pipe in her hand um right which I, I i don't doubt that that will still be very true um but i've had a lot of real conversations with her and i i, I just wish um maybe one day she would would want to leave that kind of life, but I don't think she would even begin to know how um, or what to do with herself because I know I didn't. Right. That's why I stayed in treatment for a year when I first got sober. So, right. um, so yeah, it's it's quite interesting to watch and and um, to be on the other side of the coin. Yeah, definitely. This is why I started doing Al-Anon, you know, a while back because after you get a few years under your belt in this life and all the dead bodies I've had to step over and all the people that I love so much that I have to continue to watch struggle. Mm -hmm. And in the beginning, I don't know about you, right. But in the beginning, I would really be like trying to pull people out of the fire. I'd be like, Oh my God, this is such a wonderful life. And I want you to want what I have, you know, but uh, you can't, you can't save them. And nope, you can't. And that is one of the hardest 
hardest parts and and setting boundaries with those family too it has become very uh much needed thing but um yeah absolutely and at first a lot of them didn't understand it at first they didn't you know um but they do now and i mean, even though they may not necessarily always agree with it um right but they definitely they definitely know i have them and well i know my bro like my brother for instance he thought literally dude he would always act cool to my face when I first started in recovery, mm-hmm. for like the first couple of years. But then one night he called me for help at like in the middle of the night and he was slurring and shit. So I couldn't understand hardly words that he was saying. But what I did catch was him calling me things like a self-righteous piece of shit. Oh, and, my God. And yep, thinking, I- like he had ideas in his head that I really thought that I was fucking better than him. Mm-hmm. And I didn't. I never thought that, you know. But it's like because of what you're saying, and that's what reminded me of it. You said they don't understand, or you know, or they didn't understand in the beginning, and that's what that was my experience too. You know, like yeah. you're getting this backlash, like people are assuming they know what you're thinking or feeling just because you're clean. Yep, yep, definitely. I've I've been called a hypocritical, stuck-up bitch, and all of that from my own mom and my own sister and my own sister um my older sister she's me and her were partners in crime for the longest time and uh we um she actually admitted to me not long ago that she because she is tried just get sober and she relapses and whatever and uh she's really struggling with wanting to be here and so many other things and uh she actually admitted to me that she is jealous of me and she hates me for it. She hates me for the success that I've had. And I looked at her and I let her know that it was okay to have those feelings. Um, yeah. And I knew she had those feelings, but um, yeah, exactly. it didn't, it didn't hurt me because I knew that it had nothing to do with me right. and everything to do with her. So that is um, so profound. Just, wow. Yeah. Cause you know, for real, like, and it is nice to hear them say the words, right? To, yeah. rec- to recognize that and to own it. Yep. And a lot of people will be are kind of like afraid of, of hearing that kind of stuff. Um, and I, I think it's a it's it's a good thing. Um yeah, no, like with I my mom, I won't push step. that too much, but uh just because she goes crazy really quickly. But um, <laughs> you know, my sister's been in and out of recovery and she she really is trying and I I, I, I work with people who have that struggle. And even though I haven't relapsed, I a lot of people that I care about, I've watched I've watched addiction have their grasp on them and it just kills a little part of them every time. So um Yeah, yeah. yeah it's and it, it's it sucks. hard. It is, mm-hmm. it does, but it's important we don't lose hope, right? Yeah. Because you were that, you know bottom of the barrel junkie it was you you know like you were the the hopeless case and you're Mm -hmm. not anymore and these things can turn around and i know this is emotional to talk about and i appreciate you going there with me because oh yeah i mean we we all have to deal with these things in recovery you know now we get to look at life through the scope of reality we get and you I hear so much spiritual truth already coming from you. Like I got goosebumps from it because <laughs> dealing with family and feelings like real intense, raw feelings is difficult in, in recovery. You know, you, 
the program teaches us so much in in how to let go of what can't we can't control and how to draw boundaries right but that stuff is really a lot more difficult when there's feelings involved deep well see that's why i really feel like it's like right now my my recovery is staying on top of my mental health um i don't go to meetings as much anymore you know i had separated myself um from the uh, silver community when I first got my job because it's at a treatment facility and we have boundaries and I was very new with boundaries still. And Mm. um, I mean, I've been a peer support specialist for two years and I've been sober for four. So I was very new to a lot of that stuff. So I backed down from the meetings and um, just to kind of, you know, and then COVID happened, which gave me access to online meetings. And I still attend a couple here and there, but mainly my recovery is focused on, you know, staying on top of my mental health and make sure that my needs are being met. Um, and, 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 and really just talking recovery with other people is a really huge part because I am so passionate about it and, and just talking about it and, and feeling that passion come from your, like your, not your heart or whatever, but your soul, like you feel it come from your soul and it yeah. just, it, it gets me going and I, I just light up and I could do it forever. I could do it every day the rest of my life yeah and it only takes two to make a meeting yep it does. so those those conversations are key and and mm-hmm. i'm sure in your area like because we're down around where i live you know towards the cities there's probably a lot more options for meetings and stuff because i i know when you're working in a in the field you can't you're not supposed to attend meetings that people that attend your program might attend right right but right up where you're at who knows i don't know how far of a so, that would be so but. it's interesting <laughs> that you bring that up because that's a really big ethical question right and and with me being on the minnesota certification board and um actually being a part of their updating the ethics code and, and all of that it's it's actually been really interesting because i've been able to bring that perspective to the table like okay so you're not supposed to have dual roles but i live in an area where dual role is almost impossible to have almost nearly impossible um you know so it's like you're you're either getting a family member that's coming in i mean luckily not for me because i'm not really from the grand rapids area right um but i remember one time um for instance, I was working at first call for help. This is when I first like got sober. Certainly, when I first got sober, and I got a phone call, and it was about a female who was really needing some services and help. And it was from Lakeview, the current place. And I, as soon as she started talking, and, and I'm like, "Hold on, you need to stop right there." I said, "I cannot listen to any more of this." I said, "This is an ethical violation for me. I need to get you on the phone with somebody else because I knew she was talking about my sister." She mm. with bruises. My my younger sister Isabella, and uh, she come in with bruises. And anyways, it was just it was crazy. And then of course my boss was like, "Go!" So I left and I went. It, you know, it's it. So it's almost impossible when you're in the rural areas to not get those dual dual relationships or dual. Um, but uh, Zoom has really helped me reach uh, reach that anonymity part that I really enjoy too because I do have a couple of meetings that I attend. And when I first got into recovery, you could say I didn't understand the anonymity. I thought it was a joke. I thought it was stupid. Why, why be anonymous when we can recover out loud and we can, you know, 
Um, and, and, and most recently, you know, with the ethics and learning more about ethics and, and, and just kind of getting a professional viewpoint on a lot of things. Um, I now understand the importance of, um, of the anonymity. And I, I enjoy going to a meeting where people don't know me, you know? Um, and, and that I think is really huge because I think that sometimes a lot of us get caught up in our community so much that when, uh, at least I, from what I've witnessed in my community, um, when you get so wrapped up in it, when one goes, then it's like a domino effect, you know? Um, and I live in an area where it's such a high turnover rate. Like the people have been coming in and out, but it's like a revolving door and uh, you'll get, you always get those few that are standing strong. And, but um, so I just, I really want to help make an impact and, and, and make those doors stop spinning a little bit less, you know, yeah. you know, helping those people find whatever it's going to take to give them that long-term, long-term Absolutely. sobriety. Absolutely. And I think too, that's like a lot of that's got to do with, like what's what's the range of different pathways that are available in that community right and mm-hmm. and and things like that because there's so me- there's so much out there and i can imagine it's i don't know if it's really like a heavy recovery community in that area or not but you know a lot of areas especially more rural communities it's like you're lucky if you can even find an na meeting it's like they have aa they have Allen on and that's it, you know? Yep. And there's maybe, you know, you could count them on one hand, how many meetings. Uh, whereas if you come down to like an area where I'm at and you got all this, you know, you yep. got the Y12 SR, you got the mindfulness and meditation meetings, you got the NA, the CMA, the HA, the CA, you know, all these different A's and, and family support groups. And, you know, the list goes on and on harm reduction and smart recovery and everything. It's a, it's crazy. Yeah, we don't have a, we don't have a lot of those up here. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, because people need to have options, right? Like choices mm-hmm. and be able to experiment. You know, they say part of our spiritual development is just being open minded and and trying new things. And you know, different. Everybody strokes is different because different you, never, you don't know what they're struggling with. And everybody is. It's crazy how different people are and how successful I've seen some people where you'd be like, God. Geez, those are just so many, like, you know, most people don't recover that way, but it works for them. Right. That's what works for them because they are introvert. They are, you know what I mean? They don't like people. That's just who they are as a person. And that person is thriving. And it's like, you know, my boss is like, well, are they going to meetings? Are they doing this? Are they doing that? And and this person is now open to meetings because of that open communication I've had with this person. So that's pretty cool. Um, And just watching that change talk come. You know, yeah. um, just by having those open con- when you when you go to somebody and you're like, hey, I get that. I get it. You don't think that works for you. All right. Well, let's find what does work for you. And then you're like, we'll have, you know, and then you get you get talking about some really great meetings and topics. And that sparks their interest. Like, well, if there, there's more of these kind of really good spiritual aspects about going to a meeting, because a lot of people haven't felt that right. when they go to the meetings, you know, that spiritual holy fuck, I'm in the right place. Yeah. Like, oh my God. You know what I mean? Like they don't know what that is until they've been a part of that group conscience. So it's mm-hmm. pretty neat to, you know, to what sweetheart? <laughs> it's okay. Oh, she said no. <laughs> All right. 
so yeah anyways yeah no uh <laughs> hey the, get used to it we we go on rabbit trails around here you know we get squirreled out and so it's all good but what when you were uh going back <laughs> a little bit like let's talk about your first your first experience getting high what was that experience like for you or drinking whatever you want to talk about um and then uh you know maybe talk about like some of the progression as well okay so it's interesting the first time i got high um i was 13 like i said and um my mom like i said my mom used and i was babysitting for a friend's cousin and they were all when they came back of course i was spending the night because i was babysitting you know and they had offered me to come and smoke with them because i was the only one not smoking so i took them up on that offer and uh i just i remember having the time of my life like i was i felt untouchable i felt okay i felt just i don't know so even at that early age you kind of knew that you had an issue but then it was just difficult because it was such an extreme change in lifestyle. Mm -hmm. So you were like, you went back to what was comfortable. Right. And Mm -hmm. that's, that's instructive because we always hear, you know, nothing good ever happens inside your comfort zone and recovery. We get taught that, you know, you gotta, you gotta be willing to get uncomfortable if you want to grow and get better. And yeah. Yeah. You, you were like, hell no. I mean, at 16, of course you were, you're like, no, you know, Mm-hmm. you've acclimated to this other lifestyle not this wholesome like grandma and grandpa and rules and structure yep. <laughs> yeah and then after that i was i was living on my own um i was living i lived with between boyfriend's houses and uh until me and one boyfriend actually got our own apartment together <laughs> uh which is when i met you yeah so yeah <laughs> So yeah, and then we we partied. We partied a lot. Yeah, um, we sure did. And I was in a I was in a way at that time. I was dealing with trying to divorce my wife. Yep. And she kept coming back around because she was still living in the area. And it was just like yeah, and where I was living was just like a party house. Yep. Granted, it those was. guys, those guys were more drinkers and smokers, but downstairs was was the yep, <laughs> or upstairs uh, in the other guys's yep. attic, attic bedroom. They were down with the sickness too, so we were all <laughs> down with the sickness. <laughs> um, and then from there, what was life like, and how did uh how did it progress, and then leading into your you know rock bottom holy so over the next few years um so when i i i had noticed that a lot of people started getting uh rated you could say they got rated a lot of places started getting rated and i i took off um i took off from the area i was in and that i grew up with and from there i just started bouncing around um i've lived i've lived in annandale i've lived in buffalo i've lived um I've lived all over the state of Minnesota and I just kept jumping. Um, it wasn't, um, 
until and I always had a job. I had my license. It was, you know, what I was still using. Um, and I had tried quitting smoking meth for, for the first time after I actually left my hometown for the first time. I went came up here to Grand Rapids. Um, and then this is where I actually got my license and my high school diploma because I dropped out of high school and all that stuff. So um and then I moved, got my first apartment in Reamer and I tried I I had it. So I had stopped using meth, but I was drinking all the time. And I was even drinking and driving with my siblings in the car. And my stepmom was like, nope, we can't have that. You can't drink and drive with your siblings in the car. So you know what she starts giving me? That's when I got introduced to pain pills um, and Oxycontin and all of that fun, fun good old stuff. And it wasn't long after that. And I was using meth again. But uh, yeah, it was, it just, it just continued to progress, you know? And then I had a love affair with pills for quite some time. Um, so I went back and forth with, between my love, between pills and, and meth there for a couple of years and got into a relationship. Um, I guess you could say men was another one of my addictions. Um, and just jumping from one run right to the next, I was never really single. I always had someone there and that was a toxic trait that I kind of followed me into recovery, but we'll get into that later. Um, <laughs> um, anyways, um, um, so then, uh, when I was 24, I found out I was or 23, I found out I was pregnant with my son, Nathan. And when, uh, and that's the first time that I went pretty much all substance free, except for marijuana. Um, I smoked marijuana through my entire pregnancy with my son, but I was able to keep off all, all other drugs. Um, so after I had my son, um, I, I was able to stay sober for a little while and then, um, I wanted to start getting high again. So I quit breastfeeding and, um, I just went off the, off the deep end. I was a college student. I had all this money. I, um, and from there you could say my spiral really started. Um, that's when I really started going downhill. Uh, I moved in with my, my older sister, my son. Okay. So I left my son's dad and, um, I was actually single for a really short period of time, but I was a really big hole, really big hole at that point. Um, it was actually when I, uh, started, uh, uh, selling my, myself for, for, uh, things for the first time was actually at that point. Um, and then anyways, so, <laughs> and then me and my sister, we partied and I got into this relationship and I, it was very toxic relationship. A lot of my relationships were top toxic. Um, I was with him off and on for a couple of years and then got with somebody else and, you know, the classic, you know, jumping around for a few years. Um, but, uh, what really, what really brought me, I mean, I, I, I literally went from living in a house. We lost that house to homeless to my son's dad, taking my son for me, um, and me not being able to see my son. And I failed out of college. Um, and all of that, it all happened within like two years. And it was just, it was just insane and how fast it happened. Um, up until that point, you could say I was a functioning addict. Um, and after that, all, all hell broke loose. And 
when my when he took my son from me, I just kept going and I kept trying to numb the pain. I um, <clears throat> just didn't stop, you know. Uh, yeah. The one that I, I got to say, though, like, so between all of all of this, I ended up getting in into this really abusive relationship. And I, I want to try to stay away from names. But um, this guy was it was horrible. Like this guy. I could have kicked his ass so easily and I have no idea why I allowed him to do it, but he had that mind game. Like I, I truly believed I deserved everything that I got. Um, I, I, there was times where my teeth went through my lips. There was um, a few times where I, I mean, my sister broke her hand um, punching him in the face because I went back to him. Um, and and I kept going back to him. And every time I would not go back to him, he would threaten to kill my family and burn down the my storage unit with all of my son's stuff in it. And um, just it was just crazy, just insane. Um, yeah. And it wasn't until so. OK, before that. So before him, I was in this other relationship where I gotten in with. Yeah. Anyways, um, so I had that kind of in my background as well before all this happened and I had gotten into some trouble and I was on probation and all that. And then you fast forward and I'm with this guy and um, we're, we're uh, I had gotten into treasure hunting is what I called it, but it was actually <laughs> burglary. Okay. Um, breaking and entering and, you know, it, it started with abandoned houses and then it moved to fish houses and cabins that we knew people weren't at and you know just all that kind of stuff and and then it went into foreclosed homes you know and, and things like that and um it just really was it was really icky and um i had gotten to the point where i told him i didn't want to do it anymore and he had actually made me go with um and that was when we actually got caught we had gotten caught Later that day, the cops had showed up and surrounded the place and arrested us both. And, um, I remember I was brought to a holding cell and they were like, I don't know why you're trying not telling us anything. Um, he already told us everything. And I'm like, I don't know what the fuck you're talking about. And we'll come to find out he did agree to work for the cops. And I was like, I can't, can't. And I went back to my cell. I was ROR'd after that. And I was um, released. And then I went to a woman's shelter. Now, this is where I really feel like my recovery journey kind of started its process. Um, because I went over to Duluth, got sober again for a couple of months, went to the woman's shelter, had gotten a job. Um, but it didn't take me long to get back into the drugs and, you know, all of that to help keep me going. And, um, I found myself back in Brainerd, of course. And, bouncing around homeless again. It was just, it was horrible. And then in no time at all. So my son's dad had actually taken me back to court for child support. And I'd actually got to see my son for the first time in a couple of years. You know, I didn't know what my son sounded like. I didn't know what he looked like. Right. I didn't know any of it. And I got to see him for the first time. And his dad had brought me around to try to get job applications and whatever. And I had updated him on how crazy my life had been. And everything like I was honest with him on the things I did like I didn't I didn't think there was anything wrong with the things I was doing um I really truly didn't I had no shame or guilt um in any of the things that I did right. um anyways it was a couple of weeks after that 
that I had actually gotten arrested. And I really feel like it was that moment that really made me realize because I wasn't, um, the list was very long on, on, on all the violations and my charges. Um, I wasn't getting out. They didn't set a bail for me. Um, like, yeah, I went from being ROR'd to no bail being set, you know? So, um, anyhow, I, I was fighting these burglary charges. I I didn't want to take those burglary charges with him because he, I wanted out and I I was trying to get out and I I just couldn't. And I blamed him for all of it, of course, Yeah. (laughs) even though I know that I, I had full responsibility in that. And I accept that. Now, right now, now, uh, now, <laughs> then I was like, it's all his fault. If he you know, it was right. all his fault then. Uh, and I was running with that to plead not guilty. You know, of course, I'm going to try to get out of it. And uh, uh, well, anyways, they had told me that if I took the plea bargain, that I could be released. And I was waiting for a bed to get into treatment. And um, I didn't really want to take those charges. Like I was terrified of having that on my record, you know, and right. um. I was like, you know what? Screw it. Uh, I was like, no, I, I'm not taking it. I'll, I'll sit in jail until I can get into treatment, you know? And um, just because I didn't want to take those charges. Yeah. But I think that that was the best bet. Um, and today I will tell people, I know that it was because if I would have left, I wouldn't have made it to treatment. Right. Um, I probably, and I probably wouldn't have made it to treatment. No. And instead I sat in jail and fought to get into treatment. I had actually got accepted for team challenge down in the cities, the woman's uh, one year, and then also Lake place in Grand Rapids, uh, Bovee slash Grand Rapids. And I chose Lake place. Um, and I'll, I, it's crazy. Cause I'll never forget the whole experience of that person coming to get me um, pulling up to Lake place. They had the serenity prayer and I was, I had really, um, really started working. So God puts people in your life um, at really crazy times. So there was this woman that was being housed in Crowley County. Um, She actually taught me more about the love Jesus has for us. um, And just the love he has for me, even though I'm, so fucked up and so imperfect she's like i know i'm going to heaven and i killed somebody and i'm like what you know mm-hmm. and, and she literally was in prison for and being housed for killing somebody yeah um and i did i did bible study with this woman every day and um it was pretty neat and i, I started really learning about that and so when i got to lake place and i saw the serenity prayers of driving up and then you know you start having those uh like deja vu or like those aha moments or it was just it was one spiritual experience after the other. And um, it's always so hard for me to talk about that spiritual experience part. Like I can, I will have like all of the horrible graphic parts down and all of that um, down pat. I could talk about all of those experiences, but the spiritual experiences are the ones where it's it's so hard to explain it and, and to understand if you haven't actually had those kind of experiences. Right. Um, for instance, like sitting in a meeting and, you know, you're really just struggling with this one thing in life. And then all of a sudden you, every meeting you attend in that week is that topic. Like yeah. what is, and they're different meetings, like an AA, NA, you know what I mean? And they're all the same, like that doesn't, right. and all on different days. Um, well, and anyway. then, and then you hear somebody telling 
uh, their experience with it in a way that you've like never heard it before that just makes it click. And you're like, yeah. oh, okay. Yeah. Or you can feel, you almost like feel physical weight lift off. Like it just, you know, like a puzzle piece was found. Yep. <laughs> you know? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Um, and, and I just continue to have those at Lake Place. And I, I, I'm, I'm very grateful and I'm super sad that Lake Place discontinued their women's program. I mean, I understand why they did it, but um, it was it was a really great group. Um, was I an excellent person? No, no, I wasn't. Um, I did. Uh, I snuck around. I did some things. I'm, you know, um, but the biggest thing is when I first got to treatment, I was going because I didn't want to be in jail anymore. And, um, I didn't want to take those charges. That's why I was there. So it's interesting to see, look back now and be like, that all played a huge role on, on my decisions. You know, I may have had, you know, ulterior motives, but that helped get me to where I am today. You know, they'd say, bring the body and the mind will follow. Right. Yeah. Like as long as we suit up and show up or, or that uh, saying that you hear in a lot of the rooms of recovery, keep coming back, you know, don't leave five minutes before the miracle happens. It's like, if you're showing up and you got your ears on and your mouth shut, you're going to, you know, you're going to learn something and, and something's going to hit you one day. You're going to hear somebody telling your story and, and it's going to be in a way that resonates with you and gives you hope and it, it's going to open your mind to the possibility of change where it wasn't before. And yeah, totally amazing how that works. So you don't have to even really want to get clean. If you're showing up, you know, sometimes you could, uh, you could find that inspiration in the rooms or in, in, in a program. But also for the first time, I think is I was also vulnerable. I was somewhere away from my normal habitat or environment Right. Um, I was away for, I had no communication with anybody. Like you can't, you couldn't have a phone there. So I couldn't have, I didn't have communication with my mom, my sisters, like none of that really, you know, um, the only thing I had was the influence from the people that were, I was around, um, which I think really helped a lot. And I was at Lake Place for five months. Um, and, um, it, it was a commingle when I was there. So I was actually, I actually attended groups with men and women. Um, Lake place is a high intensity outpatient treatment with board and lodge and uh, in the middle of nowhere, you know, on a lake. And it was, it was just so surreal. Um, anyways, after Lake place, um, I went down to Mankato, Minnesota, which is South of the cities, as you mm-hmm. probably know. And um, I did two months down there at um, house of hope. In the women's facility and that's where i you could say i really really attended a meeting almost daily um sometimes two a day i would attend um i loved their alanol club down there and i learned so much from the recovery community um all while missing the one that i had gained at lake place up here yeah. um because everybody that i knew that i had just spent the last five months of my life with were all up here like all of them i had grown these awesome bonds and we all thought we were going to be in recovery together for like ever you know yeah. uh best friends forever um uh-huh. <laughs> but you know that kind of kind of mindset we we really all thought that um, oh totally you know and and watching that not happen was a whole new lesson too but um 
anyways, uh, Mankato really, really taught me and their recovery community really taught me how to, um, how that I didn't need anybody else to go to a meeting, you know, um, I, I can actually, I can, I can walk into a meeting by myself. Thanks to that. Mm-hmm. Thanks to being down there and, um, the opportunities I got while being down there and the people and, um, there was, what was Smarb? Smarb. Yeah. I went to Smarb down there and it what was super Smarb. Smarb. Um, it's like an NA camp out kind of thing. Okay. Um, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. And I saw tickets the last couple of years to it and I really want to go, but it's like, that's a long drive to go <laughs> camping. But, uh, but I mean, it was super fun. They had games, they had volleyball, they had the lake right there. They had speaker meetings. It was just like a weekend of fun, um, people in recovery. It was, it was just awesome. Um, you know, that's the first time I got to attend those kind of things. So I, it really opened my eyes to what um, recovery could be. And uh, I remember listening to Brandy Brink um, at a woman's career day down there. And, mm-hmm. and while hearing her story, I was like, I remember calling my friends up here and like telling them about her story. And because I was so moved, like, because of her, her, her criminal history, like, you know, like it was just mind blowing to me that somebody that came from a life like mine could be where she was at. Like, it just blew my fucking mind away. I was like, no way. Can you go from that to this? Like that just, it just hearing that just blew me out of the water. And I mm-hmm. talked about that for weeks and I, I really was, I really started getting serious about my recovery and what I needed to do to be a better person. Um, and when I was, it's crazy. Cause when I was at Lake place is when I realized that I had no bad feelings about the crimes that I had committed. Like the, like I had said earlier with the burglaries and stuff. Yeah. Um, that's when I learned the difference between what was it? Um, I'm bad. Oh, what the hell was oh, that? Like shame and guilt. Like, yes. Shame and I guilt. Did, Thank like, you. I, like guilt is I did something bad and shame is that like, I'm a bad person. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. I didn't have any guilt or shame or <laughs> like, I mean, I had, I had shame from like other stuff from like, that was just engraved into my brain from when I was younger. Like right. that's just, you know, I still have those thoughts, intrusive thoughts go through my head to this day, <laughs> but, um, Anyways, and I raised my hand. I remember raising my hand and I looked at him. I said, what if you don't have those feelings about the things that you did? And I remember the whole, like, and, and this was the entire lake place, like everybody, men, the women, like it all got super quiet and they all kind of just looked at me and I'm like, um, I don't know. I, I, what, what happens if you don't have that? Like, you know, and, um, because I, I just didn't see anything wrong with what I was doing. Right. You know, I was getting mine. I was, I was just getting what I deserved, you know, or what I thought I deserved, um, which was whatever I could take. Um, which <laughs> right. is horrible. Um, but it was the truth, you know, that's, that's, that's where I was at anyways. Um, so then I, I remember when I was down in Mankato, I had come back up to Grand Rapids for uh, like an alumni association for Lake Place during the summer yeah. and I had such a blast and it felt like home and I missed everybody so much. And I was like, you know what? I need to come back up here. That's what I want to do. I felt that tugging and that pulling. And when I say tugging and pulling, like 
So it literally felt like there was something pulling at my soul. Yeah. And it's, it's a crazy feeling. And I just, I couldn't get it figured out. And then as soon as I actually ended up getting back up here to Grand Rapids and into Pear Lake, um, that tugging since stopped, you know, and it's just, it's crazy because if you listen to your body and if you listen and you watch the things around you, um, you can see the signs that your higher power and that the, or the universe or what, however you want to look at it is pointing you and leading you. Yeah. Um, and I can definitely say that I have followed those. Um, even yes. if I'm like, what the fuck? I'm not qualified for this. Yes. Um, Dude, you know, that's especially those are the moments you especially should listen to the prompting because God doesn't call the qualified. He oh. qualifies the called. Yep. He will make a way where there seems to be no way. And, you know, like to your point, bringing up Brandy Brink, which, by the way, she's a friend of mine and I can't wait to get to know her better. I'm going to have her on the show soon, actually. But she she is amazing. And she's do what she's done is the exact same stuff that you're in the process of doing, you know, right? or, or what it could be. I mean, you want to yep. make an RCO right now. She's yep. already done that. But then you know, things could continue to grow and blossom from there for you. And it's crazy because it's all, it all happens at one step at a time, you know, following that one prompting at a time. And when you're led, you're led. I know that feeling all too well, just being called to some greater purpose. I never even knew that life could feel like purposeful. (laughs) Right. Right. It's crazy. Like, cause it's like, you don't, I don't know. And, And then it's like, so I've told my story a bunch of times, right. I've told it lots of times i meetings at you know different things and it's like somebody once asked me how come i don't tell the spiritual aspect of it i just tell the the normal story that everybody tells and i'm like i don't know how to put into words that spiritual journey part of it like i don't know how to i don't know how to articulate and get that so that way people can understand it with just words like, I feel like there's no words to describe that process. And it's just, it's, it's emotional. Some people might even call you crazy or, mm. you know what I mean? It's like, oh, am I crazy? I just, I just moved back up here for no fucking apparent reason, you know, to, <laughs> to be with my, the sober support that I had just built when I already have one where I'm at, you know what I'm saying? Like right. I had two sober built two sober support network and I went back to one and, you know, it's just, yeah. it's, it's crazy when I, when I think about it, like, but you know what you have in my opinion anyway, but this is coming from a person who's had those kind of experiences. So it's got some kind of personal significance to me. Right. I could relate and understood what you were talking about. I think when you're talking about spiritual matters, yeah, a lot of people may hear that story and it won't resonate with them because they haven't had those experiences yet. But that's not to say that they might not remember that story and down the road when they have those experiences on their own, they're going to be like, I remember when Cynthia was telling that story, you know? So never underestimate that, that effectiveness or the power of planting a seed in someone's mind, you know, opening, because even if they don't get it, that could open up the realm of possibility to where they're now they're ready to receive an experience like that. You never know. So don't, don't sell yourself short because we all got a story to tell and you'd be surprised at the parts that are going to help people. You know, the parts you think you shared that you think are going to be the parts that get people, you know, it's, it's like somebody will come back to you and be like, Oh, you really helped me. And this was what you said. And you'll be like, really, you got something out of that. (laughs) 
<laughs> it's weird. Right. <laughs> you know? Right. Important so, thing is, is that you're sharing it. You know? Yeah, I, I enjoy sharing it. It's it's really interesting to actually have like a conversation about it rather than just like sharing it because it's like, I don't know, because then like when you're sharing your story after you're done, you're like, shit, I forgot to bring up this. Oh, shit, I forgot to say that. Or, you know right. what I mean? And it's I don't know. So it's it's kind of nice to actually just have like a conversation about it like we're having right now. I yeah, must absolutely. say that it's a lot less awkward feeling like you stated at the beginning. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Um, and it, you know, it, it, it's interesting because when I, so I come back up to kind of the Grand Rapids area and I had gotten into Pear Lake, um, and I had, when my counselor had did my intake and or whatnot, and she's like, oh, you came from a facility that's just like this one. And I'm like, yep, I did 30, I did 60 days down there. Now I'm coming up here to do this program. And she's like, um, your insurance might not even cover you to be here past 30 days. So in my mind, I'm like, well, shit, you know, oh, I better get on that. So I started looking for a job. I had a full time. I literally had a job that I thought was going to be perfect. It was a day job. Nine five. Right. Perfect. Could hit all my meetings. You know, it'd be great. Right. I got told I couldn't take the job because I hadn't. I wasn't past my 30 days and I wasn't in medium intensity and I'm like, or low intensity. I'm like, but I came from the same kind of facility. I was already told that I would probably wouldn't be able to be here past 30 days. Right. Well, that's not the case. So anyways, I, so I thought I was going to be clever and go to um, my LAD supervisor. Yeah. Um, That backfired in my face, of course. Um, And then of course I was like, fuck it. I'm leaving. I'm like, I don't like it here. I hate this place. The rules are different than down in Mankato. Down in Mankato, <laughs> I had more freedom. I was able to just go walk around town. I just hated the rules, right? <laughs> um, it was just so different. And 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 I, I I wanted to go back down to Mankato. Like I seriously called my friends down there. I was I was crying. Like I was pissed. And uh, and then I was like, oh, so then I knew somebody else that I could go stay with. And he um had an extra room and I was like, all right, I'll go stay with him. He's he's also in recovery and blah 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 blah. And so I called my probation officer and I had this big plan, right? Yeah. Big plan. I knew what I was gonna be doing in. Right. And I was like, sure. And she's like, sure, you can leave. Yeah, go right ahead. She goes, but I'm gonna tell you this. She's like, if you leave, I can't say that the judge is gonna revoke, you know, you being out and bring you bring you right back to jail and send you to prison. Right. Like, Fuck. All right, fine. So then I go back downstairs and unpacked all my stuff and I stayed. So you had to have this whole new surrender moment. Yes, I did. I definitely yep. did. I definitely <laughs> did. Uh, I bet you're glad I, mean, you, I, threw a I bet you're glad you went with one, it. It wasn't even one day. Like I pouted for like a week straight. Okay? Well, I'm sure you did. <laughs> I fucking was a baby about it. I was, I had my arms crossed. I was a snooty little bitch in groups. Like I, I was like, yeah. mm. No, you didn't let me do what I wanted to do. This was my plan, and you told me no. Like, no, this is this isn't okay. Um, and it was also the first time that I had actually been told no in, in my recovery. So, right. oh, also I gotta say this. So, um, before I left Lake Place, I had actually been on the waiting list to get into Duluth. This is one of those spiritual kind of like, holy fuck, it happened for a reason kind of thing. So. I had been on the waiting list to get into Marty Manson Duluth for since I got to Lake Place, pretty much, right? Yeah. And uh, they just 
weren't getting back to me. They had nothing. And my counselor is like, okay, she's like at five months here. She's getting bored. You can tell that it's time for her to move on. And uh, so she had, that's when she had asked me if um, I was willing to go to anyone that had an immediate opening. And I said, you know what? Why not? You know, let's, let's do this. And that's why I actually ended up all the way down to Mankato. Um, so that was really kind of neat. Uh, and come to find out at that moment at Marty man's, there was some stuff going on with not really great, uh, staff. And anyways, that person got charged and sent to prison, but, um, that was all going on all at that time. Yeah. So something stopped me from going there. I feel like I know, I I don't feel, I know something stopped me from going there Mm -hmm. because if I would have went to Duluth, I, I, I was just in Duluth months prior, you know, I lived there. I was in the woman's shelter there. I, you know, I, I knew where to go get drugs. I was good. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it didn't work out. And it just, it's it, looking back, I can see how that was. And at the time I didn't see that was one of those things where it was like, mm, yeah. all right, fine, I'll do this. Let's do it. And it just worked out. Um, so anyways, when uh, I get back up here now, remember when earlier when I had said that um i i did i wasn't always a rule follower or i wasn't the greatest at league place yeah (laughs) um i'm i'm serious about my recovery don't get me wrong i was through through very serious about my recovery and and serious about learning because this idea that i could live a different life just intrigued me it really truly intrigued me so i really wanted to you know i i really wanted to absorb that and um but that I still had character defects. I'm still human anyways. Um, and uh, that's actually where me and my husband met was at Lake Place. That's awesome. I am a 13th stepper. My daughter is, uh, <laughs> is the um, product of 13 product of the 13th step. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, and that's why I said it the way I did. Cause it's like, I was not, I was very serious about my recovery, but I was still very much, um, sick i still very much am codependent and I, oh yeah you know, and, and those things followed me i'm not you know i'm not gonna hide that because they dude i'll did. tell you right now they still follow me you know sometimes <laughs> but behavioral patterns thought patterns all that shit it it don't just go away overnight you know just because no. you take out the substances like right like yep. i have to unlearn so much and then like relearn new shit all the time and yeah no i mean but that's the thing too we're all gonna make mistakes you know and sometimes those mistakes can lead to beautiful <laughs> things you know right yeah yeah it's 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 interesting and uh <laughs> needless to say as is, is, is that's one of the reasons they quit doing the commingle groups i i know it is um <laughs> but uh but I really so you were already inspiring people. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and but I really did get a lot out of those commingle groups too, because I at least in our group, we had a lot of those serious, like tough questions. Like, you know, this is how we us as women see it and how we've been treated and done. And it was just it really brought a lot of those tough questions up to the surface. But anyways, yeah. um, and, and it gave us that opportunity to actually work through those tough scenarios, you know. Um, but anyways, um, so when I got back up here to Grand Rapids and I was at Pear Lake, of course, my boyfriend, um, was at Hope House, the men's facility, and he had already talked to the clinical director. It was like, Hey, my girlfriend's coming here. Like, 
you know, and, and of course our relationship started as really good friends and it, it really turned into daily phone conversations um, while I was down in Mankato for two months. And on top of the phone conversations, we wrote each other back and forth. So um, we really, it was, it was very interesting just to see how close we actually got, even though we weren't in the same town or even to close together. Like he became my best friend and he, I, it, it was just phenomenal. You know, those stories in the, in the AA book um, where they talk about how there are those connections, you know, yeah. um, and, and when they're great, they're great. But also when they're bad, they're really bad. That's why they say not to do that. Yeah. Thank God. Um, my relationship and, and where we're at, it's been okay. Yeah. Um, that doesn't mean we haven't had our rough patches. Right. Um, um, because we're not perfect and, and by far are we perfect anyways. Um, right. But I'll tell but, you this, man, I've had some epic failures on the romantic, you know, realm in my recovery. You know, I, I used to be like, man, my picker is broken. Shit just goes sideways. And I pick women that really know how to push the buttons in me. And right. so, I mean, yeah, you're blessed. You are super blessed. I think that over time, I, I, I believe now I found one that's a good one, but you know, it was a process dude. And it's hard not to almost lose heart. When yep. You want to be loved. And the more we grow, you start to be more willing to be loved and more confident in the possibility that you could love another person effectively. It's like, yep. dude, you know, like, you know, when the track record will show otherwise, it's kind of hard to believe that it's possible anymore. Yep. But I think that there, there's a lot to be said about just that willingness to try. Right. And because before I had my walls up and I would, I was willing to get laid, you know, but I wasn't willing to, put a label on it. And I sure wasn't willing to like, let you give me doe eyes or, or tell me you love me. Cause that right. shit made me crawl in my skin, you know? Yeah. 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 And I was, I was the opposite. I was like, I, I had, I was really looking into this, um, uh, codependency stuff. <laughs> I had really started learning about that. And of course I was freaking out about that because here I was building this really awesome relationship that I was really enjoying with somebody. Um, but I was terrified of it at the same time. And yeah. I knew it was wrong because everybody was telling me it was wrong. Um, but I couldn't <laughs> stop. I was like, well, I, I like this, <laughs> this yeah. is, but it's, this may be my old pattern, but I like this. <laughs> like it feels so um, right. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Um, well, anyways, I ended up pregnant with our daughter, Vanessa. And, uh, uh, anyways, um, and I was, I was so terrified. Um, I didn't want to tell my counselor. I didn't want to tell anybody. I wasn't, I wasn't going to tell nobody um, that I, I was pregnant with anyways. Uh, Cause we could have got kicked out for um, fraternization because he was in the men's unit and I was in the females unit. Yeah. Um, and that would have everything up, you know? Uh, so I was really worried about coming clean with that. And uh, that's a big secret. It was a very big secret. Well, I was going to the women's or the pregnancy center here is where we went. And uh, the staff actually used the pregnancy center saying that they called the front desk looking for me. And I know that's not right because I gave them my cell phone number and I didn't even give them the address or tell them I was at her lake. But anyways. <laughs> um, so they knew. 
they found out. Yeah, they found out. They found out. And then that's when my therapist came and started talking to me. And she's like, so I just want to encourage you to be honest, um, you know, a because you're on probation and, and all of that. So I, I did finally go to my LADC and tell her about it. Yeah. Um, and I'm glad that I did because we didn't get kicked out. We didn't. We, and, and they actually allowed us to look into getting a place together, which was awesome. really kind of neat because we didn't think they were going to let us. Right. Um, and then my counselor actually wanted me to spend a couple of days, a couple of weekends before I actually graduated with him to make sure that we could stand each other in the same house for a full day, a couple of days. Like Hell she was yeah. like, so then you can do a test run. So if you want to back out, you can. Wow. That's really awesome support. It, it was actually was, it was kind of just mind blowing. It yeah, really for was. Sure. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Then we started off with an air mattress. Uh, we we had gotten a bunch of uh, like just enough things like a couch, a TV, enough pots and pans to cook with, and an air mattress, and you know just the very minimum of things in our apartment. And it was right. a one bedroom apartment that we we got. And I was pregnant, and it was just it was it was very intimidating, mm. but very exciting all at the same time. Absolutely. <laughs> especially being pregnant yeah and in early recovery mm-hmm. <laughs> the hormones yep <laughs> on top of the already intense like oh fuck what is this feeling feelings thing yeah. oh yeah yep um but anyways uh after you know, and, and me and him were both really in the recovery community. We went to meetings. We gave people rights to meetings. Um, it, this, it was when Sober Squad first really was very new. Yeah. Um, and we were part of the Grand Rapids Sober Squad. Um, we went bowling all the time. We, we really we helped with re- recovery. And we just really, really fell in love with um, having fun in recovery. And, and oh, yeah. everybody's um, company, you know, mm-hmm. and not a lot of those people that we were uh, with then are sober today. Uh, yeah. There's like mm-hmm. literally less than a handful, yeah. um, which is sad. It, it really is because it was a really big group of people. It might come back. It might. It, it might. You never know. They might come back. Some <laughs> of them might not be able to, but some of them might, you know. Right yep and uh so we're we're living this life i worked at first call for help he um was doing concrete and now what is first uh, call for help you want to first so first call for help is a um it's an extension of 211 everybody knows what 211 is well first call for help is 211 but in our area in the greater north um it's also 211 with mental health crisis services Mm-hmm. Um, so we, I would dispatch CRTs, um, and talk to people who were struggling with mental health and, and all of that. And I got the job with them while I was actually at Pear Lake. So remember that job I was telling you guys about that I really wanted and I was pissed off and thrown a fit. Yeah. Well, I ended up having an interview at this place and, um, I hadn't had any luck because everybody wanted to hire days and I couldn't, I couldn't work on days. It was, I was, had to get a night shift job or evening shift and um, they find, and these people finally hired me. They were like, yep, well, we will hire you. And uh, 
it was pretty neat because they were the first company, first place that I worked out of treatment. Um, so uh, I really, I really got to learn a lot in a, about how to be a professional and how to be um, empathetic and how to just be there for people and listen. Yeah. Um, I'd already had some uh, telephone, like, um, like cold calling or, um, you know, telemarketing calls. Yeah. I used okay. to be that annoying person that would call you. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, so I had some experience on the phone. So that part I think really helped, but um, yeah, I was there for actually two years. Nice. It was a really, really great job. And my boss there really helped me grow in so many ways. Yeah. She was one of the first people that actually saw that, um, you know, because I went in there honest with them. And I let them know where I was at. I'm, a, I'm an addict. I have this, 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 and this on my record, um, you know, and that's uh, it, just where I am right now. And I just need a job and someone who's willing to, to work with me and, and help me move in that right direction. Right. And they definitely, they definitely did that. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. So it's like, people, kind of, it's kind of like telephone uh, support for mental yep. health. Yep. Yep. And then they'll also actually dispatch CRTs. So uh, What's crisis, a CRT? response, crisis response team. Okay. Um, To them as well. If, if need be. So that was pretty, that's pretty neat. And they actually have now hired a lot of people that are in recovery after me. Yeah. Yeah. So well, I it's good because it just it's like peanut butter and jelly, right? Mental health and recovery. Like, yes, definitely <laughs> no, is. It's why it's like, why don't more places offer, you know, treatment for co-occurring disorders? Because we all, I swear to God, I haven't met one addict in recovery that doesn't have co-occurring disorders. Right. <laughs> you know. Right. And if they if they say they don't, they just haven't figured it out yet. Right. <laughs> Absolutely. So you, you get, you get your foot in the door at this place and find that you can be of service to others and, and you're getting professional training and support and mentorship that you like, this is some stuff that like, to me, yeah. that that's higher power. Like you never Definitely saw that you never saw coming and, mm -hmm. it, and it started to, this has started to breed you into you know, becoming, or what am I thinking? Groom you into like yep. what, where you're at now, you know, and moving forward to. Yeah. So how has that progressed from there then with your. So in the midst of all of this, we actually ended up getting my, um, so I was working there. He was doing concrete. We're in the recovery. We actually ended up, we landed with um, my husband's um, two of my husband's other kids, Lorelai and Wyatt. And they were with us for a few months. We had gotten them in school. I mean, we, the four of us, me being pregnant, uh, lived in this one bedroom apartment for what, four months, I think it was. Um, and we made it work, you know, and it was, it was, it was a beautiful, crazy, but beautiful and just fun thing. Um, and then uh, his ex-wife had come and taken the kids back and um, it wasn't um, pre-planned. It was, um, last last minute very very emotional thing and um so speaking about those god those spiritual experiences um math we, the church that me and matthew attend to this day 
um, we actually started attending because of um, one of Matthew's first boss out of treatment. Um, uh, and, and it's kind of neat because he still is, he's actually working for him again. And we still go to church with these people anyways. Um, and, and this is where we did the kid exchange and everything when, when she came and got the kids and it was just a really rough time and our church really helped us and, and held us together and held us up. And, um, they were just really there for us through that time. And this was, uh, right around, this was in December. It was right before Christmas. Um, in 2018, um, you know, I, it was just, it was, it was crazy. We had already gotten all the kids as Christmas gifts. We had, you know, I mean, we were fully ready. We, we did that. We had gotten, gotten it all figured out. Um, and then she just came and took them. And I was, I was at work, of course, um, because at the call center, it's not, you know, you, you know, you have to be there on those days. And, when back then there wasn't other people to take your shift. That was, it was just me, you know, for the call line that we did. And, um, so anyways, I, I had to go to work and, um, that was actually when Matthew had relapsed. Um, and I knew something was wrong and I knew I couldn't, I knew I couldn't fix it. Um, but here I am pregnant at work. Um, all of these horrible feelings rushing through my body. Um, and also at that time, I really started struggling with my mental health mm. while I was pregnant with my daughter, Vanessa. Um, anyways, uh, when I got home from work, uh, my significant other had told me that, um, he'd relapsed and our whole apartment was flawless. Um, and it, it wasn't like that because the kids, we hadn't gotten a place in order since the kids, the kids left, you know, they shared a the living room as a bedroom. And, uh, so it was, we were very crammed in there and, uh, came back and it was all clean and spotless. And, um, when he told me he was high, I, um, I didn't know what to do. Right. I, I cried and I was just quiet and I just processed it because I didn't know I didn't know how to handle it, you know, and me and him spent that rest of the night um, talking and, and, you know, I, I was terrified. I'm pregnant. I am due in March and, you know, here he relapsed. We're in this one bedroom apartment and I just, it was terrifying. Um, needless to say, he, he got back into it. He went to a meeting. He got sobered up. Um, and then, of course, we got the kids for Christmas shortly after that. And you know how bad we wanted to just keep the kids and be like, oh, well, guess what? You don't get the kids back. Mm. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, what, what do they call it? Uh, when it's just between two people, a civil dispute. So the cop can't do anything. Like we wanted to do that so bad because that's what she had done to us. And, right. um, you know, of course we didn't. And it was just, it was really just a hard time, really hard time. I actually got an order of protection. So I used to do, I'll, I still do lives every once in a while, but, um, so I, I was talking about how, so this, his ex-wife was literally right behind me at the kids' Christmas program at the church, the day that she's telling us we have to like, let the kids leave with her, you know? And, um, she's right behind me. And all I could think in my head is, oh, my God, I just want to strangle her. I want to just, you know, all of these things. And I was talking about that on my live. And I was saying how this is what the old me would have done. 
So yay that I didn't do that. Right. So that's great. I didn't react on my emotions like I normally would. So that's great. But she watched it and she took it as a threat. She actually got a restraining order on me over it. Wow. Yeah. 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 But she's sober now. She's also a peer recovery specialist. So that's really oh, wow. awesome. Yeah. It's, it's been insane. I feel like all of the shit that's happened while we were sober is way more than I could even go into about when I was high. Like it was just, it was literally one thing after another. Why we ever since we've gotten sober and started this journey, it right. feels like. And each um, and each thing on the journey though cements the fact to you that you you know life can come at you in any way, and you mm-hmm. can get through it clean, and yep, and learn a valuable lesson and and move forward. You know, mm-hmm. it's beautiful. So then, um, you know, as the time goes by, I ended up having Vanessa, um, and then after I had Vanessa. I really started struggling with depression. So when I was down in Mankato, um, House of Hope is a dual diagnosis down there. And I had a neurological psych evaluation done while I was down there. Um, And I was diagnosed with um, major depressive disorder, which was partially in remission at that time, and uh, PTSD. And um, so um, after I had had our daughter, um, I really... I really started struggling with just the basics, you know, cleaning, um, keeping up with my hygiene. Um, I didn't want to go anywhere. Um, I would like freak out whenever we were getting ready to go anywhere and we were packing our bags and like, I just start panicking. And, and, um, I, my husband now, he was like, not sure what was going on and tell me to sit down and to breathe. And, 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 you know, he'd do his best to get me through it. Um, but I really did start struggling. Um, and, uh, so I knew that I needed to get more help. So I had brought it up to my OBGYN and he had put me on an antidepressant and, and it, right around all of this, um, my friend Curtis Jackson, um, had told me that Colin Cash and, um, Gary, uh, we're doing another peer, certified peer recovery specialist, recovery coach academy training, and they were trying to fill some slots and was wondering if I was interested in doing it. I'm like, well, I don't know, maybe I'm on maternity leave. I'm struggling with my mental health. I'm, there's all kinds of crap going on. And I'm like, you know what, whatever. So I go online and I start filling it out. And then I'm like, fuck yes, I don't want to do this. You know, I just, I don't, I didn't want to do it. So I stopped filling it out. A couple of weeks go by and then all of a sudden I get a phone call from Gary. <laughs> and so I answer it and he's like, so I see you got a pending application here. Are you going to finish filling that out? And I'm like, yeah, I'll do it. I'll do it. I'll do it. So I get back to it and I finally get it done and everything submitted. And uh, I, I really didn't want to do it. I didn't, I, I really didn't want to do it. It was, I was supposed to, that was supposed to be the week I was supposed to go back to work, like from maternity leave, like, and so now that I had dedicated, you know, like, nope, I'm doing it. I got all this stuff turned in. I had to go to my boss and tell her that, um, you know, maternity leave needed to be put out a couple more days because of this training that I wanted to attend. And she was all for it. Um, That's awesome. It was. It really was cool. Uh, first time ever in my entire life that I've had a hotel room paid for me, including meals. Oh, like, 
in my mind, like that's some high class shit. Like, hell yeah. What the fuck <laughs> am I? Like, I felt like such a big baller. Like, I was like, oh my God, you know? Um, <laughs> VIP. <laughs> yeah. It was like, oh wow. So it was just a really great experience. And I really learned a lot in that. So in that class, um, I actually looked at a lot of different things. I was forced to look at biggest thing is my privilege. Um, so when they first started talking about my privilege, I struggled with this. So I'll explain why I'm sharing this here after a bit. Let me share it first. Um, I really struggled when they showed that walk. You know, when I participated in that white privilege walk, you know, yeah. um, because I wasn't at the front. I wasn't really at the middle. I was kind of at the back. Um, and I got really defensive you know, when they were talking about the Native American culture and the things that they've been through and, um, and, and telling me that I'm privileged because of my skin color. And in my mind, I'm like starting to freak out because it's like, you don't know what the fuck, like, <clears throat> sorry, but I, <clears throat> shoot, I've never, I've never had a privileged life. So when somebody tried to tell me that I had a privileged life because I was white, it irritated me, you know? Right. And I, I got really defensive. And um, of course, me being a big mouth and being that I had to speak out on it yeah. because I didn't I, I couldn't comprehend it. Like it was it was like, oh, so you're saying that I'm privileged just because I'm white. But yet so then that just ignores everything that I've been through. Like that's how I was internalizing it. And it was just it was. Um, it was very interesting because it, it helped me learn how to have that very difficult conversation. Um, and it helped me see that um, just because I am white and it helped me understand that privilege um, that yes, you know, if I had been, if I would have been any other color um, with the situations and the burglaries and instead of a, a white blonde girl, do you think that I would have gotten state of adjudication on all those burglary charges? No. No, I should have been put to prison. I should have been sent to prison. Um, and the fact that I wasn't, and then that helped me see too. Um, because the person that, I mean, yes, he had uh, he had um, priors and things like that. But um, um, one of the people that I, I had done some of the burglaries with, you know, they he didn't get any chance. They, they did. They sent him right to prison. Right. Um, and you know, here I am committing the same crimes and I'm, I'm getting state adjudication on all of my felony charges. Right. Um, it's so crazy. I was getting an opportunity a lot of people wouldn't get. And so when I looked at that and I, you know, I could notice that, 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 that really helped with that. Right. Um, and then the more I understood of like what we went through or what they went through and, and, and um, just what that process was like for, for, for just, them as a people um i started to have that understanding of more um that it wasn't about it wasn't about anything other than me not getting the same kind of charges because i'm a little i'm a i'm a silly blonde white girl you know what i mean <laughs> um uh and, and and that is true that that is a very real thing and it's okay for us to admit that it's a very real thing and that that happens the only way we can start fixing something is by admitting it and and not getting mad about it and and being like no okay this is the way it is so how do we fix it moving forward right um well anyways, there's so much to that topic and, Ew, uh, boy. and cu cultural competency 
but that then that was just one aspect of the the recovery coach academy that that you had yes, to cover. I just, mean, just that one. week that week was, and I still regard that as one of the most amazing uh, and tough experiences of my life going through that training because yep. yeah. I mean, you had such a wide array of different types of people in the group that I was in, for instance. And then, I mean, at some point during the week, somebody had that moment that you were just talking about where it was like a breakdown moment or a fit of rage moment. And then as a group, we would have to process through that shit. Yeah. And yeah. And so like, I'm being honest about how I'm feeling about all of this and, you know, that's a really tough subject for people to get into. And so like, and here I am, um, you know, being super honest about this and getting, and I'm, I'm very passionate. So when I get worked up, I get very loud, my voice rises and, and it, you know, I, I really start getting into the conversations. And I remember one of the exercises that we did, um, you were paired up with somebody and then um, you, you had to tell them about your uh, background, I like guess the kid and, the lifestyle you grew up with. And of course I was with this guy named Randall Sam and he actually still brings it up to me as well. And uh, every time I was like, yeah, you were the one that I was paired up with. Right. And it just blew our minds on how similar our lives were and how similar the things that we grew up with, like our parents and just, it was just really um, mind blowing on the similarities, even though we were so different. Right even though the different cultures that we grew up in and um, it, it helped us find that common ground, especially having that tough, dis- tough discussion prior, you know, where it's making me look at my own, my own um, prejudice, you know, mm-hmm. in my own mind and my own blockers that I had on, you know? Yeah. So it was a very eye-opening class for me. Hell yeah. And I didn't understand it at first. And I was very frustrated at parts of it, but, the more I learn and the more I grow, <coughs> the more I grow, the more um, I can appreciate that experience. And I'm grateful that I was honest about it too. Yeah. You know, I think I was exhausted for a good couple of days after that yep. <laughs> class was <Yep>. over. <coughs> Definitely. Oh, baby girl's back. So, uh, you know, and, and, and so after I'm really grateful for those couple of people pushing me into taking that course, because, um, I really wasn't gonna, you know, and, um, uh, it, so anyways, after that, of course I took the test and I got state, uh, I got approved through the state and I got my, my state certification and all that fun jazzy stuff. And, um, I had no idea how I was going to utilize it. And I was in this program called Project Clean Start, where I actually, what I actually, which program I actually work for right now through um, Hope Falls of Itasca County. Mm-hmm. And uh, so my boss had, had said, oh, by the way, we're going to be hiring a, a coach. I would really like, I want to encourage you to apply for the position. I know you went into the training, so on and so forth. So I was like, all right. Yeah. So I, I built up a resume, created one. It was snazzy too. I tell you what, it was the most beautiful resume I've ever made in my entire life. <laughs> um, and uh, it was just, it was, it was awesome. And I actually went to my current boss Cree at first call. And I was like, look, I want this job. I want to work with people in recovery. 
I, I don't want to be on this phone line. I want to be out in our community working with people. And she's like, I get it. She's oh, like, yeah. I get it. You know, and that's the first time I've actually told a current employer that I was looking at getting another job. Like normally I just apply and like, just do no call, no show. And yeah, exactly. You know? Um, so yeah, it was a really good experience in that aspect too, but I was actually still a project clean start client when I was offered the job position. So then my boss, so then Terry's like, Oh, well, we better graduate you. <laughs> so they had to graduate <laughs> me. And then the next following month is when they, I actually started as a recovery coach there with them. So awesome. that was being neat. Yeah. And then by that time, so it's crazy because all of these things that I keep telling, like when I say that all of this shit always kept happening. So in, in the midst of all of this, so we had Vanessa, we had, now we had moved from our one bedroom apartment. We had actually been homeless staying with a friend in a one bedroom apartment. We, he gave us his bedroom because it was just me, him and Vanessa. And then sometimes Owen and I like, and then we finally got into this trailer, you know, three bedroom trailer. And, um, and then we ended up with Matthew's three oldest kids again. We uh, actually had gone down. We had had to drive down to Red Wing, Minnesota to get them because we had found out his wife was in jail. Mm. And we had thought no one was with the kids. It turned out there was people with the kids, but somebody, that person had had a warrant. Anyways, all that shit. So they ended up getting moved up with us. Um, and that's when their mom actually got sober shortly after that. Yeah. Um, which is really cool because you you watch all this drama happen and now you like you look back and you see like where she's at from that drama. Right. And from what like this is the woman that put the restraining order on me over alive. And uh, mm-hmm. you know, um we we just went and took the kids because she was at a warrant. We knew she was using and we just said, No, you're not getting them. And it was just it was really it was just crazy time. Right. Um, and, and the kids lived with us. God yeah, would use all things for his good, right? Yeah. And that's the crazy thing. Cause in the moment you're like, this shit's insane. (laughs) It was insane. Cause we had no idea what the hell we were doing. You know, we just had a pretty much a newborn baby. And we also had an old thing custody case, CPS case going with OM and his mom. And it was just, it was just so much. It was so, so much. And uh, so we had five kids. We went from literally one to five in the blink of an eye Um, from 15 down to newborn, you know, so it was it was very interesting to to watch our <laughs> ships move and and whatnot. So here yeah. I am starting this new job. He he had been working in the mines for a while, and you know now we got all these kids. Thank God for this job at Project Clean Start because I could actually make my own schedule. I wasn't you know my boss would actually let me go leave work to go to a meeting. She would let me leave work to go to, to take care of my mental health. She would let me leave my kids had appointment or, you know, it's just, it was awesome. The flexibility is still to this day is great. Um, it is. I, I feel like if I had been in any other job, I'd have been fired. Yeah. For us. Life gets in the way. Yes, definitely. It does. Um, and then COVID happened. Mm. Part and of then, part of its own challenges. <laughs> and then COVID happened. Yeah. So I'm working from home, five kids, and they're doing homeschool. It was great. It was it was a walk in the park. And you did not sense the sarcasm whatsoever. No, no, yeah, right. Uh, so I mean, it was, and and that's really when I started. So I had actually stopped taking my antidepressants because I had started feeling better. You know, did that whole classic 
bullshit. And um, oh yeah, uh, during COVID, my my mental health really started getting to me, and so I really started picking up. Um, I started going back to therapy. Um, I got on the men management, and I got that kind of stuff figured out. My mental health is something that I really struggle with um, still to this day. Um, there, there isn't a day that goes by that I, for a brief minute in the day that I don't wish that I wasn't here. Um, mm. Yeah. Um, and, uh, shit, sorry. So you remember that guilt and shame and stuff too that I told you that I couldn't figure out why I didn't have it was so, there. Uh, oh yeah it was there it just took me it just took me a while for for that shit to come up and we have to keep peeling back the layers in this thing and it we and it'll be a lifetime process you know and it, yep it will and um so yeah it was just it was one of those things where it was it was super hard for me to admit because um <laughs> you know when i was growing up when my mom had those thoughts or when she talked about killing herself like I looked at it as she was trying to get attention. You know what I mean? Like when, when I grew up that that's what those people, like, that's what people did. They, they, they're like, Oh, I'm going to kill myself. Just to, I don't, I don't know why they did it, but they, that's, I saw it all the time growing up and I didn't want to do that. I didn't want to have that reaction. <clears throat> um, shortly before I had actually seen my son, I had uh, taken a whole bunch of pills um right before I got in sober and I passed out um and I woke up uh with my pants pants unbuttoned um and I didn't know where or what happened um I was terrified um but I took those pills a handful of those pills with full intentions of yeah. hoping that I just wouldn't wake up like when you wake up you know you're just kind of like pissed off that you're waking up and then groggy because I don't know when it is. Like I literally, like I was out for day, like I was out for two days um, after taking this handful. And they no, they tried waking me up. They tried giving me a pipe. They tried, they tried everything. And I was like, no, nope, I'm out. Like, um, but it was, it was, yeah. Um, and I, you know, I used to cut when I was a teenager, and I mean, so this isn't something that's new for me. Um, it's just something that I, when I was in early recovery, it was masked. Yeah. And um, even then you didn't understand where that was coming from. Right. And a lot of it was masked because I was having fun. I was, I was enjoying learning new things. I was actually having fun with people and, and yeah. I actually felt like I belonged somewhere for the first time in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, mm-hmm. I actually felt like I was right where I was supposed to be. And I, and I never knew what that feeling was like. So it was such a great feeling to me. And it didn't matter how many times a day I thought about killing myself, that little bit of hope that I held on, was holding on to got me through it, you know? And, um, but when I, I didn't have that anymore and when my recovery community started using and, um, I had to set up those boundaries and those, all those friends that I was telling you that I thought I'd be in recovery with, you know, some of them one of them is now sober again and i'm super proud of this woman yeah um she she was actually the first friend i made when getting sober and uh she really struggled and uh, you know a lot of people ask me why i 
um, want to get Mission Restart going so much. And it's because, um, so my husband is relapsed. He didn't, he still struggles to this day with, with drug addiction. Um, and I have my sister, my older sister, she still struggles. My mom, my mom won't ever quit, but, um, right. Uh, I think, you know, I think it's instructive to point out, you know, Cynthia, that we all struggle. We all, we all have these things that, that will keep creeping up. You know, you talk about, um, the the thoughts in your mental health and the issues that that brings that's still like a form of relapse right like it is yes it's, it is it's you know it's like an emotional relapse or or whatever but yep. but i think it's really important to you know point out that like we all have to face our demons on a regular basis and choose to stand and rise above them right and i think i just want you to know from what i see and what i'm hearing in this conversation that you are exactly where you're supposed to be you're still struggling the fact that you're still struggling with those things puts you in a unique position to help somebody else who has those same issues you know and that you're doing amazing girl and and i'm proud of you and, you. and I, you know, as much as I wish yeah, I could take that away from you and help you, you know, find that gratitude or that joy. Right. So, um, I know that you do feel those things, too, because I can so, see that, too. Oh, yeah, definitely. And so talking about that gratitude. So um, I went with uh, so I went to like a magic mic show last night um, <laughs> with my sisters. And um, of course I was the sober driver and, you know, whatever. And I had no problem doing that. It was it was definitely a good experience. Um, but on my way home to this morning, as I'm reflecting that I was like, because I slept on my sister's couch and and it, I I slept super light and yeah. it's crazy because on my way home I was reflecting on that because I remember when I would fall asleep anywhere didn't matter where I was I could fall asleep comfortably and okay yeah. and not have a problem in the world and now now I can't now I want to be in my own home now I want to have that and it was just it would just hit me like. Like, wow, you know, um, I don't, I didn't, I'm not comfortable sleeping on couches anymore. Like that's huge. Yeah. That's huge. For real. Like, and, I when mean, you're, and when you're used to being at home all the time, things can get overwhelming. Sure. And things there, but it's like, once yeah. you step away from that, even if it's just for one night, right. And you, yep. maybe you were looking forward to it for a week and thinking this is going to be the best like night without the kids. Da, da, da. And then when you're actually out, it's like, you're missing your family. You're missing your yeah. bed. You're missing the, the snuggle cuddles and all that good stuff. Uh, and you get that gratitude, right? You get hit with that gratitude. Yep. Like I love my life. Even yep. though it's hard it, as shit sometimes. It, yeah. It, it, it's, it's crazy because it's those moments right there. Like, you know, and I've been working from home a lot because of course you can't send the kids to school with cough because of COVID and you know, a lot of different things like you used to be able to go, People used to be able to go, kids used to be able to go to school with colts. Now they can't, you know. So right. Um, so I've been working from home and 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 that too alone is very um can be very difficult. Um, especially when they're sick and I've got clients that need me in. It's, so it's 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 a balancing act of trying to get that all 
figured out. Right. Um, and it's interesting too because my family think that um, because you know we just got married, we just bought a home, we have a car, we have you know we have all of those things in life. Um, so we must be sitting pretty well, right? We we've got money, right? We don't. <laughs> right. Um, we just know how to manage our money now. We know how to pay our bills now. We know yeah. how to put our priorities and our children and then and those kind of things first. It's fucked up that anybody would even fucking think that when you got a gaggle of kids running around and a how you know, like dude, life is expensive. And the bigger the family, the more expensive it is. Right? Yeah, and we we've got six kids all together. Living with you under one roof all the time. No, no, nope. Now, so now we've actually only got three. So we have we have Savannah. She's the oldest, and she lives with us. She's sixteen. Uh, she graduates high school next year. We've got to be a part of getting her nice. car and her license, and yeah, just a really great experience for me um, being stepmom. Um, and she was actually my maid of honor, uh, which awesome. is even we, which means so much to me. Um, and then we have Vanessa and Owen. Owen is four, and Vanessa is two and a half. Um, Lorelai and Wyatt. Yeah, that's you, actually, I know. <laughs> yeah, and Lorelai and Wyatt actually moved back down to their moms last year because she had been sober for over a year and was ready for them to come home. So, well, that's amazing. You know. Yeah. And the, we're the still co-parenting and the mom. support, you know, because you've been through it. You can support her through it. And that's that's a beautiful thing. And then to know that she's actually a certified certified peer recovery specialist herself is just really cool. Hell so, yeah. Like, so I, I know, dude, I could honestly I'm loving this conversation. I could talk to you all night, but I gotta start trying to steer us towards the towards the finish line. But I would love for you to take a moment to talk to us about uh your startup. Uh what's that called? Mission restart. Mission restart. So yeah. yeah. Tell us a bit a about the purpose and the and the vision of that and uh what what you do and <laughs> what you're hoping to do moving forward. Yeah. So the purpose of mission mission restart actually the idea of it started off when I was uh during COVID because everything closed down around here, everything was virtual. Um uh lots of people in the recovery community started uh relapsing. Um I watched a huge number of people fall off. And anyways, yeah, yeah. Um, I just, I, and, and, and of course I'm attending all these trainings and different things. And, and I get to hear because of these trainings and meeting all these people, I get to know what organizations down in the cities are doing, you know, our sales down there. And it's like, you know, and then watching Brad get started and it's like our area didn't have anything like that. And right now, the only certified peer recovery specialists that are in the area are in treatment facilities. Now, don't get me wrong. That's important and it can help, but we need the peer support in the community. Absolutely. That's what's going to help people stay sober longer, you know, how, and, and then, and for those people having those, that support to help get them over those hurdles. Um, and that's my goal for mission restart. Um, so with project clean start, we get to help with because of grants we get to help people with housing rent bills if they you know whatever hurdles come in their way if it's financially we got their back you know or if it's a ride we got their back we'll get them there gotcha um and i just want to be able to bring that more to people in our community because i know that's what helped me mm -hmm. not so much the financials but it was the support 
Right. I had that weekly group. I had, I had people that had, had gone through it. I had a, a great support system, even though I had felt like one more than one occasion that I couldn't trust them or the coaches or whatever, you know, but that was because of what I was going through when I was right. a client, you know? Um, but anyways, I just, I really want to bring that support. I want to give people that extra little bit of support that was given to me and has helped me get through. Yeah, absolutely. So it's peer, it's kind of like a peer based support network that you're building. Yep. Yep. Boots on the ground. Like you said, grassroots organization yep. in the community. Um, and that's that's gonna be awesome and i can't and i'm sure it's gonna continue to evolve and get I mean, this so my old boss cree for first call for help that woman believes in missionary start so much and myself so much god bless her soul um which actually she can she and the board for first call for help agreed to donate mission restart the phone line um nice. Yeah. So our phone line um, is 100% operational and they do get brought to people who are in the sober community, um, you know, mainly just a handful of us right now. Um, and there's only two of us that are actually certified right now. Right. Um, and we're working on getting that increased as well. Right now we're working with extensions from the, an extension from the U of M, the change maker um, extension. And I mean, it's just, it's, it's really great seeing the that other people believe in it yeah it's just keeping it going because it's hard when there's only a couple people right but everything <laughs> starts that way and you yep. there's a real need a very real need in your community and all these partnerships that you've uh had in your recovery are you know potentially going to play a part down the road or at some point in this evolution of your organization right like yep. It all starts there and you would be surprised. You just keep doing it. You'll build, you'll build and you'll build. And, and the more people you get involved, the more you'll be able to get done. You know, mm -hmm. I, I believe in it. I'm excited to see what's going on and what, what it has uh, moving forward, you know, what the future has to hold for it. Um, but we will definitely include the links to the places that uh, Cynthia's worked in the show notes, you guys, so you can access those resources if you live around or near the Grand Rapids area. Um, and, you know, as well as obviously we'll have, as always, contact information for Cynthia so you guys can reach out to her. Um, if parts of her journey really resonate with you and you want to reach out to her for any kind of help, support, uh, guidance, uh, you know, that's what we're here for. We do this together. And, yep. and I love it. I do have, and I'm so proud of you. So proud. I mean, it's amazing. Like, I love this. Like, just because I have, it's been so many years since I've seen you. Uh, I know. To, to see the way, and I appreciate your storytelling ability too, you know, that, that you can go there, that you can cry and then light up with hope the next second, you know, and you're just, you're, you're very real. You're very authentic. And I really have no doubt in my mind that this is going to be um, some something that's going to help the listeners out there. And that's mm -hmm. the goal for us. You know, we don't make money off of this. We just do this because we like to hear other sp people's stories and learn uh, from each individual and their pathways or, you know, their collective wisdom. 
I've, I can't tell you what being a part of this podcast has done for me I bet. on a personal level. Uh, I've learned so much. Um, but Cynthia, I'm really proud of you and your husband and I'm, I'm grateful that you're doing so well. And, and I'm grateful that you have the, um, the wherewithal within you to stick it out through all those tough emotions that you feel and the, and the very real, you know, mental health struggles that you face because, you know, it, I never knew you had major depressive disorder. I have, I also have major depressive disorder. Um, I've also thought I was good and quit my pills and then realized I wasn't. And now no. I can say I've been on uh medication that works for over five years and it's nice. really made it. Yeah. I've talked about, I brought it up to my doctor a couple of times. Like, do you think maybe I should get off it? I feel great. Blah, blah, blah. And she, her base, basically she was like, well, I mean, is it working? And I'm like, yeah. And she's like, well, if it ain't broken, why fix it? You know? Yep. And thanks to recovery, I can take a suggestion. <laughs> so yep. I was like, all right, I'll just keep taking it. Um, but yeah, it's, it's all part of the journey and every bit of it is going to be used at some point. You'd be surprised the experiences that you have that you're going to be able to draw from to help somebody else. So every time you're struggling, just remember like this could help somebody, you know, yep. it's fucking blows, but it, it could help somebody. <laughs> yep. Um, I do. I have these rapid fire questions I like to do at the closing of an interview. You down? Yep. All right. So here at the way out podcast, we really think that daily routines are so vital for uh, creating a healthy and sustainable recovery. So what does your daily or recovery, regular recovery routine consist of? Showering something so simple. Most people might not understand it, but I, I'll talk about it in groups too. Um, but yeah, showering is the biggest thing for me. Um, but also Constant contact with my higher power and uh, daily meditations and talking to people and being Amen. honest. Honesty is a huge part of it. Amen. I think, you know, a lot of people even answer, you know, making my bed every morning. <laughs> well, it sounds maybe to a normal person kind of dumb, but it's not. It's it's not. It's and, not. And it, it's huge. And you got to remember different strokes for different folks. So some of us, we never made a bed in our life. And, you know, it's like. We need to make a bed or some of us used to only shower once a week or brush and, your teeth or, yeah, you know, fuck yeah. And now yep. we, need, we need to do that stuff. Yep. Uh, totally, totally useful. What, what is a book or a piece of recovery literature that has had the biggest impact on your recovery? Um, that would be, um, uh, shit, what's it called? Uh, uh, the, the adult children of alcoholics. Okay. Is that, that's, I their... recommend that I read that when I was at Lake place and it, I actually threw the book pissed off because the first chapter resonated with me so much. It, it made me mad. Yeah. Well, I don't, <laughs> it's funny you mention that. Cause I like, I love Bernie Brown and she has a couple great podcasts and on, on one of her podcasts, the, uh, the unlocking us podcast they did an episode they were talking to she had some author on and she was talking about their book and she was talking about how she threw the book across the room numerous times and shit and she was saying like that 
powerful. She's like, you really challenged me. And I, yeah, I thought it was funny because it's like it's just that transparency and that, that willingness to be vulnerable in that moment and say, dude, that book pissed me the fuck off. And like, I hated you for it, but thank you. I thought yep. that was really cool, man. Um, yeah, totally cool. But adult children and workaholics. Okay. Now, what is the best piece of advice that you think? I mean, if you had to pick one, I'm sure you've heard so many great ones that you put in your pocket over this time. But what's one piece if you had to pick the best piece of recovery that you or best piece of advice that you have received in recovery? It's okay to not be okay. Mm. Amen. I love that. So simple and yet so hard mm-hmm. to accept, right? Yep. And I think that ties in a lot with what we've been talking about quite a bit towards the end of this interview. Just that, um, yeah, like take take comfort in the fact that this is a journey and it's not mm-hmm. a destination, right? And yep. uh, the, I think the important thing is that, you know, when you're willing to stick it out through those hard emotions instead of tucking tail and running, you know, and you're doing that and it, you know, reaping the benefits of that, of, of just persevering through everything that life throws at you and staying clean in the process and living a purpose-filled life and helping other people and raising kids. Damn right. (laughs) Which is another great purpose in your life. Um, So you probably answered some of these. There's a couple, couple here coming up that are a little tough, but I think you pro you you've been very vulnerable with us, so you probably answered these already. But I'm gonna ask them anyway. Uh, next question: What is the greatest challenge that you've had in your recovery? See, this is a really tough question because I've had a lot of challenges. Um, but I think the greatest challenge that I've had is with my son that I walked away from when he was two years old. Um, I guess I really didn't talk much about him, brought him up a little bit, um, but I walked away from him when he was two and I now get him every other weekend and I had to take his dad to court and I was terrified. It was just so much and I'm still learning. And that's the one thing that I am still working on today. So, yeah, that's amazing that you fought for that. And, and, and that you get to be a part of his life today. That's amazing. Good for you. Proud of you. Wow. Um, now we'll bring it back up to something happy. What is the greatest success you've had in your recovery? Which maybe is that, I don't know. <laughs> no, um, I would say just being, coming a certified peer recovery specialist. Um, so when I first got into recovery, um, I, my goals were the bare minimum. My, I wouldn't have fathomed my life to be where it is today. Right. Um, and I talk about that all the time, whether it's with my clients, people at meetings, whatever it is, it's my life and the things that I have in my life is just mind blowing to me because there's just, I never, this was not, none of this was part of my plan. Like right. it's just, it's just happened. So and I would have better I would, though. It's better than yeah. you fucking plan. And that's yeah. the thing that I always try to tell people when it comes to God or higher power or whatever. It's like you can't if if it if the shit happened the way that I wanted it to happen, or or if the only if I only achieved the things that I wanted to achieve, I would have sold myself so short, right? Yes. 
And yes, it's funny because exactly. tell- I love that. Yeah, you are telling my story right now because I. Yeah, and I also uh, think God life's not fair. Oh. <laughs> yeah, because if I had gotten what I deserved. <laughs> yep. Yep. And then that's that's speaking back to God's grace. You know, it's unmerited favor. Yep. I didn't deserve it. I couldn't earn it. But yet here we are, and he's using he's choosing to use you, and I, you know, as a conduit of his grace in other people's lives. Yep, that's you know? beautiful. Um, now, what what is something that you haven't forgiven yourself or somebody else for? Um, and if you don't want to answer, you don't have to. I just so want to put that out there. <laughs> one thing I haven't. So I can forgive other people really easily. I have no problem forgiving other people. Um, it's forgiving myself. And honestly, it's stupid shit from day to day, which it, it's going to be crazy. Maybe, maybe some people won't understand it, but it's the littlest things through the day that I will beat myself up for and not be able to forgive myself for. Yeah, I think it makes total sense because see, one of the greatest gifts and also one of the hardest parts about my recovery is this gift of self-awareness that I get today. Mm-hmm. So that inventory, that, that concept of like taking a daily inventory and then, mm-hmm. and then promptly admitting when you were wrong and cleaning my side of the street, that shit's fucking yep. hard yep. And, and it gets messy because I have to contend with those things. And sometimes I don't, and sometimes I do, <laughs> you know, yep. and it's, you know, it's a process for sure to cultivate those skills because that's not something that we used to do. Yep, exactly. You know, um, and then being a parent, because then you got this added extra added pressure of, you know, that you're responsible for this little life, you know, these little these other lives, and it, maybe you mistreat them or you get upset and. Who knows? You know, yep. I'm just speaking from my own experience. Nope. Like, I feel like you're speaking. Yep. I, I resonate with that. So many things that are like that <laughs> where I, yeah. Yep. And I, but I got to be careful. I got to make sure that I remind, remind myself that, you know, it's a process and I'm still growing. And, it, and if I can look back, then I can usually become very grateful and, and, all that stuff because I I've come so far. Like if I can, I got to keep that past in, in the forefront of my mind a lot of times because it helps bring me back to center and realize like I am doing really good. Yep. <laughs> yep. Exactly. Cause yeah, if I listen to that shitty committee in my head, then it's like, you know, they'll tell me otherwise. All right. Last, but certainly not least, probably my favorite question of the show what is a song that symbolizes your recovery to you? I'm really excited about this, about this question, actually. So um, this is something that I was asked back in late place. Like, what is your favorite recovery song or whatever? And back then it was Better Me by Lily. She's done uh, things with uh, Jelly Roll and so on and so forth. Well, anyways, now I would have to say I the song that symbolizes my recovery would be I know how it feels by Vera Breed. I know how it feels by Vera. Rare of breed. Oh, okay, okay. 
I don't, I don't know why I thought you said Vera, but I thought you said it like Vera. <laughs> Vera. It's probably because you're uh, stuffed up. Yeah. I know how it feels. Right on. All right. I recommend listening to that. Um, how I know how it feels by Rara Freed. That song, a friend of mine in recovery or mutual friend, I should say, or whatever. Um, she she had sent it to me because I saw she was having a bad day, so I had sent her the Lily song, and she sent me that one, and it was like, mm. it was I've listened to it every day since I've gotten I've I've heard that song. So oh hell yeah, and it, <laughs> you know it might change again in in a few months. You never know, but yep. I I think you know mm. Cynthia for the first time ever I'm gonna be putting two song picks because I'm gonna listen to both of these songs. When I'm making the show notes, it's the best thing. This is why I love this question. Sometimes I get turned on to some cool shit I've never heard. And then I'm like, you're saying now I'm listening to them motherfucker every day. Just <laughs> loving it. Just jamming, yep. just feeling yep. it. Uh, it, it, it does. My music's always been one of my things. It does my soul good. Um, but yeah, I will put the links for her book recommendation and and for her songs, I mean, if you're a regular listener, you already know this, man. I like to wrap it up in a nice, sweet little package for you and make it easy for you to uh, dig a little deeper into the things we talked about, uh, the resources that they shared, and and the you know things that they that help them because they can maybe they can help you too. So we will have it all for you in the show notes, wrapped up in a nice little package. Easy to access, clickable links. Uh, Cynthia, man, wow, blew my mind, girl. <laughs> I, I love it. Thank you so much for sharing. I'm glad. I'm glad. I, I'm glad I did. Me too. And man, I got to give kudos to your your husband because he really helped take care of the the children situation towards for the last like hour and a half of this thing so definitely thank you very much good sir um wow. you guys out there listening <laughs> you can hear you guys out there listening just take care of yourselves and each other this week and i hope you got a lot out of this interview i know i certainly did and cynthia thank you so much i appreciate yeah. you <laughs> Look forward to keeping in touch and watching your journey unfold. So that being said, we're out of here, you guys. Peace. Thank you for being a part of The Way Out. We appreciate your ears. We're sharing powerful recovery stories and recovery power topics every week. So keep listening up. If you would like to reach out to the show, you can visit us on the web at wayoutcast.com. That's wayoutcast.com all one word, dot com. There you can subscribe to The Way Out Podcast on all of the major podcast aggregators, such as iTunes, CastBox, Stitcher, TuneIn, Podbean, Overcast, and more. Or simply drop your hosts a friendly email at share at wayoutcast.com. If you or someone you know would like to be a guest on the show, contact us at share at wayoutcast.com. See you next time, and remember, if you don't change, your sobriety date will.